And he has that power. His justice and his righteousness says that that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and that's a sin and that's a sin. God declares that. And when he declares that, when he sees that, uh, sin has to be punished because he's just. He, he's, he's, he's just. And so, and so we say, yeah, God, you get them. Get them, get them sinners, get them evildoers, go punish them. Uh, but then we quickly say those things, and then we realize, oh, we have sinned. We have sinned, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. May be in that boat, and we're all in that boat, right? Uh, and so... What happens is God's judgment sees this uh, unrighteousness and it has to be punished. But then the love of God sees us in our fallen state and says, I, I can't just leave them helpless. I, I love them so much. I can't leave them to, to sit there and face the judgment of God. And, and so the mercy of God says, don't release your judgment just yet. Just hold off. You're a just God. Uh, I'm a just God, and uh, let's just uh, have some mercy. Don't release judgment just yet. And then the grace of God stands up and says, I'm going to help mankind even though they don't deserve help. They deserve judgment. They deserve it because they have sinned. But the grace of God says, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to give them a gift, and that gift is a Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, God robed in the flesh. And so by the grace of God comes down to earth and says, hey, uh, judgment is coming, but hey, mercy's holding back judgment. And grace says, hey, I'm here to give you guys an opportunity to get yourselves right and get your souls right before that judgment does come because it is coming. And so God comes down and carries the sins of the world on his back all the way to Calvary. And Jesus dies for all of us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And Jesus' death satisfied his just, God's justice because the wages of sin is death. And so man must die for those sins. And so Jesus comes and says, I'll take all those sins on my back, and then I will die. And, and therefore, uh, Jesus' death uh, uh, satisfies the judgment of God um, for the sins. And he, God does not violate his nature or his word because it was all fulfilled when he came and he did it himself. Uh, and, and so... Uh, verse uh, 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past uh, through the forbearance of God. And so uh, Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. He stepped in and he was uh, the sacrifice for our sins. Um, and, and so... Uh, it's through faith in his blood. It's in the blood of Jesus uh, that has been spilled. That's where the power is. That's where salvation was purchased uh, when he shed his blood.
power, gospel has the power of salvation to all those that believe. Uh, and so the power all comes down to the blood, uh, through faith in his blood. And so uh, you have to believe in that blood. You have to believe in the name. You have to believe in all that God has done in order for righteousness to be declared in your life and for sins to be remitted in your life. God did the work and Jesus died and paid the price. have to have the faith to believe in it. Because if we don't believe in all that God did, then, did, then, then where, where do we go? Where, there's no other help. Uh, there's no other place uh, that we can be saved. It's through Jesus Christ. And so if you truly believe and you truly do have faith, then you will do what God asks you to do. Verse 26, to declare, I say that this time his righteousness uh, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so if Jesus is the only just person, he can say, well, that person is just too. And he, that's, how, that's how we are justified by faith because we believe in him. And then Jesus says, okay, I declare, I declare them as, as righteous because they believe in me. It's nothing they've done, uh, but it's through their faith in me. Verse 27, why is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but of the law of faith. And so there is nothing that any one of us have done or will ever do that can declare us righteous. There is nothing that we can do to declare us justified in the eyes of God of our own works and our own actions. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. The very best that you and I can ever do uh, is still dirty and filthy compared to the righteousness of Almighty God. And so Paul says that's, that's why boasting is excluded. We have no room to talk. We have no room to boast. There, we, there's nothing that we have done on our own. By, by law, we can't follow the law and, and say, oh, I did all that, and so I'm, I'm justified. Or by works, I did this and this, so I'm justified. That's why we don't boast about what we have done. What we do boast about is what Jesus has done because he's the only one that can satisfy it all. And so we put our faith in him. We don't put our faith in ourselves or in our works or what we have done. We put all of our faith in Jesus and say, Jesus has done it all, and I'm going to believe in him, and he's making the way, so I'm going to follow him. And so God counts us as righteous because of our faith in him, not because of what any of us have ever done. And this is where uh, denominations and entire churches take this argument, uh, righteousness by faith, the just shall live by faith. They take that and they just close the book and ignore everything else and say, well, I just got to believe. That's what Romans tells us, just believe. Righteousness is by faith, and we're justified, made righteous by faith, and, and I believe, and so I'm good to go. Uh, baptism is not essential, and, you know, speaking in tongues is, is an option, and, and holy, holiness and living, that's, that really bears no weight in, in all this because it's all about the heart. And um, that would be great, but we have a conflict because Jesus still said that there are some things that we need to do. Uh, there are some things that we have to do if we want to get into the kingdom of God. He said, you must be born again. 
You've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And so uh, it's easy to say, just believe and you're good to go. But when you look into and you put the whole entire Bible together, it all sends one message. Yeah, you have to believe, but your belief is going to lead you to do things uh, because faith without works is dead. And so it's not the works that saves you, uh, but we got to believe uh, in, our, in our faith in God. And that's, that's what is the driving force in our life. Uh, and so the argument is, well, all those other things, they're all just works. And uh, I just need faith, and I don't really need to do those things because I just believe. Well, then I guess we would have to question your faith, right? Because if you don't believe, then you're not going to do them. If you really believe, then you will do them, right? If you believe a hurricane's coming, uh, you just don't stand around and say, I believe it's coming. Uh, If you really believe, you're going to do something about it, right? Uh, and so it's the same thing with the Word of God. If you really believe, then you're going to read the Bible, and it's going to tell you a lot of things that uh, God asks us to do. Um, uh, and, and our faith is that driving force that uh, will lead us to do those things. Uh, Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Again, he's trying to separate that uh, tear down that belief that the law does it all and it does not. Uh, to support Paul's argument that we are justified by faith in the eyes of God, Paul is going to use the two biggest names in Israel's history. One of the two, two of the biggest names. If you can use these two people in your argument as, as your, the reasoning behind your argument, then I guess it's game over because uh, once you get these two involved, then uh, there's, there's really nothing else. And, and so Paul knows this. He's a smart guy, and, and he's going to bring these, guy, these two Israelites into the picture to support his argument. Uh, and so this is what he does. Remember, it's the belief that the law saves people, and it's a law that justifies and declares people righteous. Uh, and so the first witness uh, that Paul calls to the stand is Abraham. Abraham, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, uh, what is he have, what hath he found? Uh, pertaining to the flesh is, uh, I think, reference to circumcision because obviously, that was one of the things that the Jews uh, uh, were, were dependent on and, and using, uh, wanting Gentiles to do as well. Uh, and so he, he, he brings in Abraham here. Uh, verse 2, for if Abraham were justified by works, by circumcision, uh, for God, for what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so Paul's quoting that verse. And so where is that verse? That verse is Genesis chapter 15, verses 6. That is where God declared Abraham righteous because of his faith, Genesis 15, 6. And yet, Abraham was still at that point. 
he wasn't asked to be circumcised until Genesis chapter 17. But two chapters earlier, God has already declared Abraham righteous because of his faith. And so, Jews, how then is circumcision tied to righteousness at all? If Abraham was declared righteous even before he was circumcised, he was uncircumcised, and God says, you're righteous. Uh, and so the Jews, again, they made it out to be, you need to do this in order to be righteous and right in God's eyes. Uh, and so here, here also disproves the easy believism. Because if Abraham was already declared righteous in the eyes of God because of his faith in Genesis chapter 15, why then does he get circumcised two chapters later? Abraham could have said, nope, that's works. I'm not doing that. Uh, I don't need to do that. I just believe, and I'm good to go. I, God, I'm not doing that. Uh, there's no reason I'm already righteous in your eyes. Um, but the truth is, if you truly have faith in God, you're going to do what he asks you to do, right? Uh, go offer up your son on the mountain and use him as a sacrifice. Nope, I don't need to do that. A few chapters ago, you already said I'm righteous. I don't need to do that. I'm just here waiting for the gravy train uh, for heaven to come. I don't need to do all this extra stuff that you're asking me, God. And so, uh, uh, but that's not exactly what Abraham did. Even though he was declared righteous, Abraham said, yes, Lord, whatever you ask. Yes, Lord, if, if that's what you want, God, I'm going to do it. If I need to be circumcised, that's what I'll do. If I need to take uh, my, my son Isaac up to the mountain, that's what I need to do. And so uh, that disproves that doctrine that just believing uh, is not supported at all, even by Abraham. Uh, the, 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 the father of the faithful, the, the one who, who started all of this, uh, even he after was justified and declared righteous, he says, okay, God, whatever you want me to do. And so Abraham was declared righteous even before circumcision and even hundreds of years before the law even came around. And so here we have somebody declared righteous without the law. Uh, and so the next big name that Paul drops to illustrate that the law really doesn't have the power to save and declare people righteous is King David, uh, Romans 4 and 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So now here, clearly, we know that the law of Moses has been established. It's been around for hundreds of years while when David comes into the picture. Uh, and so he goes after the law with David. Uh, and so what was David referring to? Uh, here when he said these things in Psalm 32 where blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. What sin or sins is he referring to? He's referring to his own. Because uh, the sins that he committed were with Bathsheba. And uh, what, are the, what, what sins did he commit? He, he committed a lot of sins. Covetousness, adultery, deception, murder. All of these all of these sins lined up uh, when when David did all of the, did those deeds, uh, he committed a lot of sins. 
Now, according to the law, what should have happened to David? Well, he should have been killed many times, probably. He should have been stoned. Uh, adultery, that's, that's a big no-no. Uh, obviously, murder, that's a no-no. Uh, and so David should have been killed. According to the law, the king should have been killed. Because the, the sins that the, uh, the law, for the sins that didn't demand death, David would have had to bring sin offerings to the priests. If, uh, if he survived the stoning or whatever, uh, there were still some other sins that he committed that uh, weren't, weren't worthy of the death penalty, but he still would have had to bring sin offerings. Uh, so he had to bring these things to the, to the priest. Um, because that's what the law says you got to do. Uh, and so where did where does it say that he did any of that? We, we really don't have any account where David uh, ran down and he brought all these sin offerings up for his sins. Uh, and so clearly here with David, the law really wasn't followed, was it? Because he should have been stoned. He should have been killed. Uh, and so what happened, Second uh, Samuel 12, and David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. David knew he, he faced the death penalty. Uh, and so the Lord has put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. How so? Because the law says that that should happen. Uh, and so Paul uses this to say, how does the law declare somebody righteous? The law condemns David to death, and yet somehow David is spared, and God forgives David's sin without evidence of David even offering sin offerings. Romans 3.21, as we said, but now the righteousness of God is without the law. You don't need, the law is not going to give the righteousness of God, it's without it. And so Paul knows that the law is powerless against sin. He knows that it is just a teacher. It is a guide to try to capture the hearts of man that, because that's what God wanted. He wanted Israel's heart. Uh, and, and there was the law that was given to help hopefully teach them that, hey, I, I need a new heart. I need a clean heart. But David understood this. David, David knew that the power of God was not wrapped up in the law, but the power of God is manifested in your life when God has your heart. Because when he has your heart, uh, you don't, you don't, you're going to do whatever God desires you to do. You're going to follow after righteousness. You're going to live a righteous life. Uh, you don't necessarily need the law because if you're close to God and God has your heart, he'll teach you what righteousness is and you'll want to follow after that. And so the righteousness of God is without the law, being made manifested by the law and the prophets. Musicians, if you would come. And so David's sin was sins were was forgiven because God had David's heart. Psalm 51 delivered this is David speaking of this deliver me from blood guiltiness O God thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. David knew that, yeah, that's what the law says. 
But I know God, God doesn't find a delight and pleasure in those things. What God delights in is if he has my heart. That's the most important to, to him. And so uh, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, thou will not despise. Uh, and so you got all the law, the, 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 the animal sacrifices, all these things. If you do this, you need to bring this and this and this and this. And uh, that was all to teach man that, God, I'm a, me- I'm a messed up person. I've got a wicked heart. Uh, I need your love. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your righteousness to save me from, from all of this. And if we have a, a broken heart and a broken and contrite spirit, God's not going to despise that because that's what he's looking for in the first place. And so once David was informed of his sin that you are the man, you are the man that did this by the prophet Nathan, David's heart was broken. His, his heart was broken and he just sank and he probably fell out of his throne. what caused Nathan to say the Lord has forgiven your sin. Even though by the law you're supposed to be dead, and if you somehow survive, there's, you've got to bring sin offerings, you've got to bring these animals to be sacrificed. You don't need to do that, David, because your heart was broken. And that's the true sacrifices of God. That's what he delights in is in a broken heart and a broken and contrite spirit, which David had and he displayed and say, God said, I, I, know, I know you're repentant of that, and that's what I'm looking for. That's what I gave the law for to help teach uh, the nation of Israel that, to, to be broken before me. But they got all caught up in the law and made a law unto itself. Circumcision didn't save Abraham. It didn't declare him to be just and righteous. His faith in God, his faith in God's promises, his faith in God's word is why Abraham was declared to be righteous. And so the law did nothing for David. It did not save him. It did not declare him righteous and it did not declare him just. If anything, the law condemned David to death. But it was his faith in God. His faith in a loving God that drove him to the altar right there in the throne room where he asked and cried out for repentance uh, of his sin. And so you don't have to run across town and, and to drag a bullock and a ram or, or whatever animal was requested to show that you are repentant. No, all it takes for us is to fall on our knees right where we're at and we just pour out our heart to God and God can forgive us of our sins right then and there and he can fill you with his spirit right then and there. Uh, and so it's not about all these laws and customs that they got caught up with. It's about the heart. It's not about the words on the page. It's about the heart. And that's what the law was trying to teach Israel Get your heart right with God. And you don't have to worry about all these 613 laws because if your heart is right, you're going to do, do those. You won't have to have a checklist and keep track because you're going to do that. You'll obey the Ten Commandments if you truly love God and put him first and, and you're going to love God and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself and you fulfill all the, all the commandments of the, of the law just by loving God and loving your neighbor um, and, and so that's having the heart that God wants us to have. 
If you stand with me tonight. Jeremiah 31. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, that I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And so finally, uh, when Israel has, has hit the bottom and they're carried away being captives and slaves in other lands, which they never should have been, finally God spills it out and puts it in writing and says, you already got the written law. But what I want is that law in your heart, in your inward parts. So create in me a clean heart and, and renew a right spirit in me. That's, that's what David's prayer was. And David understood that the law and circumcision and all those ceremonial things, they were powerless when it comes to the power of sin. If sin, uh, if, if law had the power to stop sin, then why do people still murder and steal today? There's laws that say don't do that. And so if the law has the power to stop sin, then there wouldn't be any sin, right? Just have Congress pass another law. Make sure it applies to them first. But uh, the law, law has no power against sin because sin corrupts the heart. And that's what God is after uh, and so um, uh, it, it doesn't stop evil and wickedness, but what it does stop, uh, what stops sin is repentance and turning to God. By living by the word of God and fulfilling the ways of righteousness, that's going to stop the sin from happening in, in people's lives because we know uh, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, but we have to have that in our hearts, written in our hearts because once you get it in your heart, your faith in God is going to lead you to repentance. Your faith in God will lead you to the baptismal tank in Jesus' name. Your faith in God will lead you to that watery grave where the old man dies out and is buried with Christ. Your faith is going to lead you to that place where God fills you with his spirit. And then you are filled with the power to live the life that God has called each of us to live. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That's where it all wraps up. Believing in the gospel, and if you believe in the gospel, you're going to obey the gospel. You're going to want to do what God says to do. You're going to want to obey what Jesus says to do, uh, to be born again of the water and the spirit. Aren't you thankful that the grace of God stepped into your life and said, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to find that altar and to be filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Because without the grace and the love and the mercy of God, we would not be here, would we? And so we are eternally grateful for all that God has done in our lives and what he is doing because we know that it's nothing that we have done. That, that day, When that day comes, God's going to declare his people to be just and righteous 
and we're going to be clothed with a, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, and we're going to look around and we're going to know that that's not our, that's not our robe. That came from Jesus Christ, and we are, we're going to worship him forever and ever because of that and because of what he's done to, in our lives. Amen. Let's worship him tonight. Let's begin to call upon him and thank him for all that he's done in our life. Help us to be those people you've called us to be, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. You are holy, you are holy God. Lord. Help us to be you are more like you.
Let's worship the Lord. We thank him one more time. Hallelujah. You are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you for your righteousness, Lord, for all that you have done to give us this opportunity that we can come before you, Lord. Hallelujah. Acts 2.38 was not preached to Abraham. It was not preached to David. They obviously lived way before Acts 2.38. But had it been preached to them, we know that without a shadow of a doubt that they would have done it. How do we know? Because living by faith is living by faith. It doesn't matter what time frame you're in. If you're in the Old Testament, you're going to live by faith. If you're in the New Testament, you're going to live by faith. And so God sees that, hey, you're living by faith in the Old Testament. I know that if you were living now, you would, you would obey Acts 2.38. And so uh, God sees the heart and he sees our, our faith in him, amen, and our, our obedience to him and his word. And he declares us righteous for doing that. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. The same faith that leads us to obey, man, we need to teach others uh, about what God has done. Amen. Declare his righteousness to this world. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name. Don't forget about tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, our late night prayer meeting. Come expecting a, a mighty move of God. Amen. And let's give our hearts to him.